Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Literacy Podcast. We are thrilled that you're here with us today because we have a former teacher who now works for Great Minds. And um, I know she's got a big fan base following from NSYNC. Uh, I was on a call yesterday with a school district and they were raving about her. So I cannot wait for you all to hear her voice today. Um, I mean, I knew, I knew Sarah Webb's <laughs> name from just, just the articles and things like that. So she's, yeah. she's one of those famous teachers. She's kind of famous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I fangirled about her a little bit. I think uh, she wrote a piece. I forget for what. Was it education? Sarah, what was it? Jump in. Education yeah. Weekly. <laughs> Yeah, I've written a few things. I, I, I had a lot of blogs on Achieve the Core about which Achieve wisdom the core. that, yep. yeah, okay, that yep. got <laughs> Yeah, yeah I remember reading them and then I met you and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the girl from the, the famous from the yeah. blog. And I was so excited, but then I didn't want to, you know, sound like I was too excited to meet you. So welcome to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. All right. So Sarah, tell us about yourself. We know you're a former teacher, but, um, you know, give us a little bit of context. We're all former yeah, teachers um, here. So. <laughs> right. Former teacher and, and never expected to be a famous teacher. So I, I take, <laughs> take that, you know, that I don't take lightly and, and I don't think I'm, you know, that famous, but I was an elementary school teacher. I taught all the subjects, you know, as we do, and then switched over to only doing English language arts. So I taught ELA in fourth grade for a long time. Um, and I was part of a pilot when my district piloted Wit and Wisdom. So that's how I got involved. Um, so I taught that in fourth grade and then made a switch to be an English learner teacher in middle school overcame my fear of seventh graders and ended up <laughs> they're not too scary it. yeah Some, I was, I sometimes. was really scared <laughs> first, but turns out they are just as endearing as any other kid you know and they're uh-huh. separately so um so then I taught in English language learners in fifth through eighth grade and I helped them with all kinds of things you know obviously did some English language development, but also did a lot of support in their wit and wisdom classrooms. My whole district was using the curriculum at that point. So, so I got this really huge overview of wit and wisdom, like seeing it from fourth all the way through eighth grade. And then was really lucky to um, get this job working for Great Minds and working for Wit and Wisdom as a senior curriculum designer, really looking at how can we um, improve our supports for multilingual learners. So, so that's where I am now. Now you're famous, and I'm going to tell a quick story before, <laughs> before, thank you for that, before we go into the podcast, because I, or we go into a little bit more, because I want to dive into a lot of what you just shared, but I was on a call yesterday with a school district, and for those of you who are just listening to the podcast, they very endearingly referred to Sarah as Joanna Gaines, because she kind of has a Joanna <laughs> Gaines vibe. So if you're listening, you can picture in your head Joanna Gaines as Sarah Webb as Joanna Gaines and uh, just know that 
I she can see has. that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's so hair, funny. Like, <laughs> that is not the first, uh, I'm quite, of course, I don't see that at all, but <laughs> that is not the first time someone has said that. My I husband like so. works with someone and, and when they met me, they're like, yeah, yeah, like your wife, like who looks like Joanna Gate, you know? And I was like, I like Googled her. Like, I don't, do I look like her? So that's funny. That's you a great compliment. You know, I should, that's a great compliment. When I post the podcast, I should do one of those side-by-sides, like your <laughs> headshot and yeah. Joanna Gaines's headshot. <laughs> Definitely. Now everybody that's has so a funny. fabulous visual. So when you're talking, they can picture. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That is too funny. Uh. Yeah. All right, Sarah. So tell us a little bit about your journey with Wit and Wisdom. Yeah. What, I mean, you were teaching before you started that pilot of Wit and Wisdom. Yeah. What was the transition from and how did it go? Yeah, it's my true confessional time, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I have to make the the confession that, you know, I was I was for balanced literacy and I used leveled reading and I had the groups and, you know, the kids in groups and some kids read this book and some kids read that book. And, um, and I... I mean, I loved those kids and I was working so hard. You know, I was trying to do everything for them and I saw growth in different ways, but um, I was always trying to find, you know, a, a better way. You know, mm-hmm. what else could I be doing? Um, and, you know, I've listened to you guys a lot. So I know, you know, you, you've been down this road and, you know, and yeah. you're honest and it's important for us to all, you know, like be vulnerable and say like, yeah, like we've all made mistakes, right? And we didn't know it was a mistake. Yeah. And some right, of the stuff, right. even, even when we were doing it, it didn't make a hundred percent sense, but you're like, oh, I trust this. Cause this is what some, you know, somebody who's older and wiser than me is giving me, but like, right. how can you teach books when you haven't even read the book? I have to, I have to read a quote I read this morning because it's exactly this. It's forgive yourself for not having the foresight to know what now seems obvious in hindsight. Oh, (laughs) Oh, thank you, Melissa. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah. So then my district, you know, piloted wit and wisdom and, um, it was actually a different school, not even my school was going to do it, but then they started asking a few other people. And, and I, we had recently started common core recently started the new test for common core. And I had kind of said to the curriculum department, like, Oh my gosh, you know, what's going on with my test scores? Like I, like we need to do something different. And so they said, Hey, do you want to be part of this pilot? Um, and when, as soon as I saw wit and wisdom, I was like, Oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> like this, somebody figured it out, right? Like, this is great. I yeah. mean, and so it wasn't like, I mean, it was hard for me at the beginning, but it, it wasn't as long necessarily of like a, maybe a love, a love relationship. Like I feel like I kind of dove in from the beginning because I was just right. like, these are things I've wanted, right? Like lots of text together and rich text. And, you know, so the, the design of it was, I was, I was on board with that because I felt like it was just beautiful the way it was crafted I was wondering, like, how is this going to work for my students who are usually struggling, right? Because um, they have struggled in easier text, right? Or, you know, different things we've done. Yeah. Um, and so that was what was just huge, right? That I could not believe the path that I saw them take throughout this year, you know, as I'm learning to use this curriculum and it would, that was absolutely like the most motivating part for me to like, keep diving in like each night, like, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? Right? Like, how are we, let's take some time to figure this out because, um, I just really realized like how aware they were that they had been struggling. Right. Like, I mean, they were fourth graders, they were nine, but they absolutely knew, right. I read these books 
that kid gets to read a bigger book, right? Mm-hmm. And and what that really does to them and like their attitude about reading and their attitude about school. And so to all of a sudden be um, really like, you know, they just knew, oh my gosh, like I am getting to do what everybody else does. Like this teacher believes that I can do that, right? Like, I mean, that just really changes their perspective about themselves. And, um, and I had shared this story, you know, how I really got um, mildly famous, um, thanks to Natalie Wexler, <laughs> because I had shared this story with her about one of my students. Um, and he was new because my school is near a military base. So there was a lot of moving in and out all the time. And so he was new this year and, and his mom had all, you know, said to me at the very beginning, expressed concerns, like he's struggled with reading, you know, he, he's, you know, he's one of those like struggling readers, right? Like that term that we use for better or worse. And, um, and after like the first month of school, she was like, I can't believe this. Like we had been studying the great heart. Um, and we'd read these articles about Claire Barton and different uh, women who showed great heart. And he had just written this whole paragraph, right? Because he had actually learned about something really interesting that he really loved that challenged him and fascinated him. Right. And, and then he just couldn't help just writing, writing, writing about it. And he was so proud is the most he'd ever written. And she told me like, he came home and he made his family sit down said, I'm going to read this to you, you know, what I wrote at school today and like read all this information about Clara Barton. And, and she was just like, you know, from a mom, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like how it feels as a mom to think like, finally, my kid is excited about something in school and feels like they are being successful because, you know, that's what we want, right? Like we would just want our kids to like feel successful and feel like they're, you know, they're really doing something. So, and, and it was like, he, it was like exponential growth, right. For, for kids like him, it was like, once they just got that like little spark, like, sure, he still needed help, right? Like sometimes he still needed help. And and he really, um, you know, I should have done more for, you know, intervention for him for like decoding because it, you know, he did need that still, but, but he also needed this and he wasn't getting that from, you know, from the leveled reading. And so he ended up moving after that year, um, again. And then when I, I reached out to her when the book came out, when, you know, Natalie was like talking about him, these articles and the knowledge gap and everything. And I was like, Hey, like we're in the book, you know? And, and she said, you know, thank you again. And this is awesome. And she said that after he, they had moved and he still was sort of struggling, they did get him tested and he was, you know, diagnosed with dyslexia. So he did start getting more intervention, you know, that really helped his needs, but you know, she still said like, there's never been a year where he has been more engaged in school. Like just, so to me, that was just like the power of engagement. Like I saw it translate into products, like right into higher quality writing and into engagement in reading and more reading and eventually test scores. Right. I mean, all those things happen, but like the spark was just them getting that, like, that like engagement with the text, like the the actual like struggle where, but they felt like it was worthy, right? It wasn't just like, oh, here's this book. It's boring. <laughs> the teacher doesn't have to read it, right? It was like, here's something great I want you yeah. to to really engage with. So yeah, um, I find it so interesting because when we did the review, you know, we were, we were looking for curricula. Um, there were so many people who said like, well, this will be great for our students who are like on grade level or close, but no way will our struggling students be able to read this. And I just find it so interesting because we hear stories like this one often that, you know, we, we assume, Oh, they're, they're going to hate this because it's too hard. 
Mm-hmm. And in fact, like you find your story is just the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because we're honoring them as learners and we're not like, I'm thinking of, you know, a, a one little boy in particular, just like you are, Sarah, you know, just like that story made you think of a student. Um, the, the little boy used to say like, I'm in the stupid class. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. we transitioned to giving grade level stuff, he no longer said that and felt honored in his learning. And I, I think it's a, about honoring students as learners and giving them what they deserve and, and what they need. Like, so I'm looking at Sarah shared a resource. Um, and Sarah, I want to also talk about what you said in terms of that both and like, it's not mm-hmm. just about decoding or content. Yeah, that's what um, I was just thinking. But, you know, yeah. Sarah did share a resource to, like, put this in perspective for us from um, English Learner Success Forum. And what I think is really interesting in this resource, and I'll link it in in the notes, in the show notes, is that, like, when you think about two examples of excerpts from texts, I'm going to, sh- can I read them? Anybody mind? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. Um, so these are two short excerpts from texts about raptors and their prey. And the first one goes like this. Owls are birds of prey. They catch rats and mice. They have good eyes. They can see in the dark. They hunt at night. They have sharp claws. They are good hunters. And the second excerpt goes like this. Imagine you are a small animal minding your own business, scurrying low to the ground, going about your day. Suddenly, you sense that something is watching you. You look around, but you don't see anything. Scary, isn't it? So when you think about those two excerpts, like, and the... They call it out as intellectual richness and interestingness of the text, like B, essentially, right? A is really short sentences. It's it's not really linking the information together. It's just like choppy and divided. But mm-hmm. the second excerpt is much more rich. Um, and you can like really infer the connections between the sentences. Um, and when you think about what kids deserve and what would be more interesting to read, (laughs) like it's kind of a no brainer. And that's where I think I struggle a lot in being like, you know, seeing, seeing lots of kids exposed to that first excerpt, that's not going to help them be better readers or writers. And it's the same content, you know? Well, and if I could get like really nerdy for a second, (laughs) you know, and if you think about Scarborough's rope, right. And the two sides, like the foundational skills or the simple view of reading, like you have the foundational skills and that's so important, right. To actually learn how to decode words. Like you need that, right. We, we get that. You also have the language comprehension side. And I think that the, the idea of guided reading is like, we're just trying to do something in the middle but we actually mm-hmm. end up doing neither of those things, right? Like we're like, well, yeah. if we do grade level text, that's too hard. But if, but, and so we think we're like going down to their like foundational levels, but we're really not instructing them in phonics, right? Like we're right. just like having them read something easy, but we've also taken away all the richness of the language that's building their, their language comprehension. So it's like, we were trying to like, kill two birds with one stone, but I think we ended up doing neither, right? Like we weren't really hitting either side of those. And so that's where if you get a really grade level rich program, like Wit and Wisdom, which obviously I'm an advocate for, but there are others, right? Then you, you hit, you really hit that language comprehension because you're building vocabulary, building knowledge, you know, exposing them to the complex sentences, like the second example, 
but yeah. you also need the other part, right? And so even my fourth graders who, who if they were not reading fluently by then, which sure, there were plenty of them that weren't, right? Now they were able to engage in that rich conversation and discussion and, you know, reading with support. Sure, I had to support them sometimes. But then what they needed instead of just an easier book was they really needed that target intervention in decoding, influencing, you know, like it just, you have to really understand how those things can be separate. And like, unfortunately, I think like the leveled and guided reading, like really doesn't address either side of that, um, even though it's sort of trying to be the bridge. Um, And that is so what it was so interesting is once I had sort of realized that, and then I made this shift into the world of, of multilingual learners, just because I always loved languages and, you know, kind of was like, let me try something new. Um, I really saw this same idea. Like there's this idea in it, which I think is a little old fashioned, but is still really prevalent that you need to learn a certain level of English before you can engage in a grade level classroom, right? So, I mean, some students certainly come to kindergarten and are, you know, learning English from kindergarten, but kids come in in all different grades, right? With different proficiency Mm -hmm. levels. And so when I got a fifth grade student who had just moved here from another country and he's entering fifth grade for the first time in America. And um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of thought, a lot of people who said like, well, he should just go learn English, right? Like, we'll just take him, pull him out, please. Like, he certainly can't do this. Like, pull him out and teach him English. And then, um, you know, when he's ready, like, I will teach him this, the fifth grade stuff. But... But he might not be ready for, like, years and years and years. And by then, he'll be, like, 18. Right, yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's, you know, all the research about how long, you know, it takes five to seven years to really master academic language. So, yeah, like, what are you going to just keep him out all that time? And then it's sort of the same thing that like, yes, he needs that English, you know, certainly he benefited from some small one-on-one time with me of like, right. here's how you ask to go to the bathroom, right? And like, here's how the <laughs> lunch line worked. I mean, that's all important. And and we we did some basic conversation, but he still needed that content. You know, it's like, he still needed that balance, that both and of like the content, first of all, is keeping him on grade level because he went to school in another language. Like he can think as a fifth grader, he can access that, Mm -hmm. you know, like that content, even if maybe he needs some of it in Spanish for right now, or maybe, you know, like he needs it in a little bit different way, you know, with lots of visuals and lots of help, you know, like, and he will get there. Um, And he will, you know, there's also a ton of research that says, he will learn English faster by being so engaged in content, right? And giving him something meaningful to talk about will also help him learn the the academic words, right? And the school words, because he's going to learn how to say like, hey, dude, what's up? I mean, he's going to get that from (laughs) recess, right? From playing Foursquare at recess. Like he doesn't, but he needs to know how to say, for example, the text said, right? And like, he could be learning that right now, just as fast as, you know, like, give me back my ball or something. So, you know, (laughs) so it's always like integrating all of those things, like having the both and is so important. And it was really interesting to like, I just felt like I was fighting like the same battle again, like when I moved Mm -hmm. over to like the world of English learners, like, no, like we all do this now. (laughs) Like let everybody in. It's messy. It's not, it's not like a clean straight line of like, first they need this and then they need that. Cause like you made an, a very excellent point. This child went to school and was able to understand 
in another language up to the point of fifth grade. So it's not like we're starting in infancy and not, right? Like that's, yeah. and I, exactly. I always wonder like, why do more parents not question this? You know, because yeah. when you think about yourself as a, as a parent, you start, I mean, I didn't just read books that Presley could understand when she was, to, to her when she was two and three. You know, we read lots of books that were very rich, that were very engaging, but not just ones. Of course, we read the ones she could understand, point to the red block, point to the blue block, find mm-hmm. the green circle. But then we also read lots of other rich books. You know, we're reading Madeline. You're reading lots of books that are engaging them in rich literacy experiences so that they can, you know, see other things and experience other things, but also feel connected and and also hear the language and the vocabulary. So to That's me, what I was going to say, there's the oral part of it too, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so different. important, right? So important for English learners. And, mm-hmm. and your point, like Lori, to go back to the other part with, you know, the two example of the Raptors, what's yeah. so interesting too, you know, for English learners is we don't talk in those short, like stilted phrases. So sometimes (laughs) that can be really helpful for if you're really focusing on just decoding and reading it and, you know, beginning foundational skills. Sure. You need, you know, sometimes just more clear text that you can practice things or you're working on pronunciation, but if that's all they hear, that also gives them a weird sense of like what English is, right? <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think that's about that. How, <laughs> that's not how people talk. And that's not what they're going to continue to expose, you know, yeah. to get to. And, and it's interesting. There's like a lot of studies that, especially for English learners, again, like so similar to struggling readers, like people always... Um, with English learners, they really hone in on foundational skills stuff, right? They're like, oh, well, they can't, it's like, since they can't like communicate, it really goes into like, we need to do foundational reading, which isn't always true because they're learning to like speak, right? Like right. in a whole new language. And it's like, they really need that language comprehension side because they don't even have the oral vocabulary. And, and when they never hear complex text, like they never get like what they need, right? Like to actually move forward. So it's like, even if they do learn to decode really well, um, then they're kind of like stuck because they've never even heard like the more advanced vocabulary um, because they've been kind of just like stuck in that beginning level. Um, And the parent side, I think, I mean, I think parents want to trust teachers, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like, we're trying to educate more parents to, to know what their teachers, um, you know, what their teachers should be doing, what, what their kids need, but that's really hard. And, and thinking, you know, uh, specifically about like multilingual students, like in other cultures, especially like teachers are even more respected, (laughs) not to say they're not always respected here, but like (laughs) they are more respected. And so, you know, if you're a parent who is not super comfortable speaking in English and you come from a, you know, a a culture that's more, you know, the teachers are more sort of revered, you're not going to ask like, why, why is my kid reading that? You know, like, that's just, yeah, that's um, a really good, it's really hard to, to speak up, you know, like, um, and so that's why I think I got even like more fired up about it, (laughs) like working in the multilingual learner world. Cause I'm like, you know, these kids and families, like they can't, they literally can't always advocate for themselves, right? Because they can't communicate, you know, what they're trying to, you know, what, how they might be feeling. Um, So, but I was able to see, 
you know, so much success that inspired me, like this student, right? The fifth grader that came in, um, no words. I mean, no words at the beginning. Like we would walk around the school, like door, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. like hallway, lunch. Um, and it was just fabulous to watch him grow. And so I remember he was doing, um, you know, like halfway through the year, he's doing a mix and mingle, which a teacher could be quick to say, oh, you don't have to do that, right? Because that's getting up, talking to other kids, a lot of interaction. And they, they might, you know, it would be easier for some teachers to say, just, you just wait till this is over. But I was there. I'm like, come on, let's do this. And so I was, you know, of course, like, it's really helpful if you have a lot of support for your school for English learners. That's a whole other podcast, right? About like federal <laughs> funding <Yes. laughs> of programming. Um, but I was there to help him. And I had some Spanish skills that I could talk to him and be like, okay, like we're talking about the Nez Perce, like, you know, let's do this. And and ask him get his opinion and and so he we we practiced like he told me what he wanted to say I helped him say it in English we wrote on a little post-it he practiced saying it to me right so then he got up and he could go say and even even though he had to just read it like I think right but he said it to the other kids the kids like wow you know like so excited (laughs) like look he's talking English like the kids are like, they love it, right? Like they, it's like magic to them. Like at, when they watch someone just learn English throughout the year, because this was a pretty new experience, you know, in my district. And, um, and then, you know, like uh, a couple months later when he stands up and volunteers an, an answer in the Socratic seminar, right. And everyone in the class claps, like, like claps for him, you know, like Aww. what a moment for that <laughs> whole class to be like, like they all just felt so like, like responsible for him. Right. And like, so proud to like join in his success. So it was just so cool that they all had that experience and he was able to do it. Right. Like he was able to get as much as he could, like out of that, um, like really challenging curriculum. I have goosebumps. I love that. (laughs) And you've, you've told me this story before. So that's, (laughs) well, and the best part about, um, like since I was working across middle school, right? So then I I kept working with him in sixth grade and seventh grade. So I got to follow him, you know? And it's like, it's like watching your own kids grow up. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. fantastic. Like I got to see him, you know? So first I like watch him like go from like beginning fifth grade, you know, of course then like later he's like getting girlfriends, you know, just like (laughs) all of this stuff just growing up. But then also, you know, like he comes in in fifth grade and no words, right? And then he's like, can write up, write something and say it to someone. Then he can speak to the whole class. And then like in sixth grade, he was, he wrote a whole paragraph, right? About bud, not buddy with evidence from the text. Like, you know, just all this stuff. And sure, there was still support, right? And and sure, he wasn't comprehending every single word of the text, but he was getting a lot. And I feel like he was just learning faster, being interested in what was happening, right? Both content and language, um, and then, you know, in, into seventh grade and there he is like talking about animal farm. Right. I mean, it, it's just crazy <laughs> yeah. to like I mean, the watch line of identity in seventh grade. Yeah. I'm picturing him just being like, oh, wow, that's that directly impacts him like that. Yeah. That concept. Um, so this speaks volumes in terms of pull in versus push out. <laughs> yes. Because if that... he were pulled out, what would he get, Sarah Webb? I mean, it would be. Like a lot of pullout programs, I think are 
just usually a separate curriculum, right? Like I think about it, like, did you guys take foreign languages in high school? Did you take like French or Spanish? And you know, you had like that yeah. book and it would be like, okay, this week we're doing like sports words, right? And I mean, I loved it. I loved French class. I took it forever and ever in college and everything, you know? I mean, that's so good. I feel like I just, I never, I never really got it. (laughs) But I had different experiences. Yeah. Because I took French forever in school. (laughs) And then I went like from sixth grade, because I'm in from Vermont, you know, so we're weird. We take French instead of Spanish. We're like right next to Canada. So, so I took (laughs) French from sixth grade all the way through college. And then all of a sudden I went to France and I was like, oh my God, I still can't talk to these people. Right. Cause I've just been doing like workbooks all this time. I mean, I did more, but still it was, it was different. Um, cause it was very like separated. Like we are learning French language now. And then I, when I did Spanish, I did like a more immersive program where it was like a mix, more of a both and of like, we have time where we learn the language, but then we also just have tons of opportunities to learn it, to practice it. And it, it just personally, I had that like so much, it was so much more effective. And then And I don't want to just count on my experiences, right? There's a lot of research that backs that up. And then I've seen that, you know, with my kids that if they're pulled out, yeah, they're learning, they're just learning things out of context. They're just learning words, but then they don't get to like practice them. You know, I mean, it's the same thing as when you just try to teach a kid a word and then, or or like the spelling test, right? It's kind of like the old spelling test where you just practice the words for Friday and then you forget, right? right? So if you never (laughs) do things in context, it just doesn't stick. And so- Schemata. Yeah. The, schemata. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the pull in, the pull out, I mean, that's always a thing. And, and again, I, I think just like there's a place for decoding fluency intervention, like there's a place for newcomers to learn how to say bathroom, right? right? And like to just get the intricacy of I am versus you are. I mean, you can certainly have some explicit time on that, but it should never be at the expense of the grade level content, right? Like it it always has to be like the both and. And so the pull out could be an intervention time, right? But it shouldn't be instead of the language arts classroom. Um, And and my district, I will say like, they were really committed to that when we did Wisdom. They they did say, hey, like they bought in, like everybody has to be in here. And, And I think that's why we saw, you know, the results that we did. I mean, we did end up seeing, um, test scores and that kind of stuff. In addition to the just great things that were happening that we saw actual, you know, the success with kids. Yeah. I'm wondering if you saw other parts of the curriculum itself, like, are there any other things that were happening in the curriculum that you think supported your English learners specifically? Well, the text selection, like I always loved that. I mean, for because there was a lot of things that like spoke to my kids, those big Mm -hmm. topics about, you know, identity. And, um, but I also loved, and so then the, the, you know, the way that the topics go for so long, right. And the vocabulary that's just repeated over and over and those opportunities for deep dives where it's like, okay, we're going to deep dive into this word inspire and the parts and other words it's related to, but then we're also going to use this like, every day for three weeks. Right. So, so that like the time to like really zoom in on words and language, but then also the constant repetition of it was super helpful. Um, and the other thing that I thought was really helpful for my students, I always saw was like the writing support, like the way that there were 
like, so we're writing about the content, right? So we've talked about it a ton because the oral rehearsal is so important, but then we, we fill it out in a graphic organizer. So we have all this evidence collected and we've talked about it, right? We're ready to think about this. And then there was really support for like, okay, this is how you organize your paragraph. This is how you organize your essay, because those things actually can vary. Like it's weird, but like very culturally as well. And just, you know, just to understand like really explicitly, okay, like this is how I write a paragraph. Um, that kind of stuff was so helpful. And then having that, like the consistency of curriculum, right? So like they, they had this way to write a paragraph in fifth grade that then was the same thing that teachers referring to in sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade. So that was so powerful. So I, I thought the writing was really helpful and the way that there was so much like oral processing of the content so that they could kind of develop the words that they, that they needed to say right before they wrote. So there was always that sort of like cycle that we went through. Um, So I think that really helped them be strong writers, which is something that can is often, you know, can be really challenging for English learners. That's so, I know we've talked about all of this stuff before, but like, I'm now thinking of it from like an English learner perspective, if you're thinking like, you know, today we're reading about bees to find the main idea and tomorrow we're going to read about yeah. something else. Right. And Which then we're going to do right. writing what? totally separately because we're going to learn how to like write out like order of operations. So we're going to, how do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And right. like, you can imagine like, if you don't know yeah. what any of these things are in English, exactly. <laughs> just yeah. how confusing right. it would be versus like, actually helping to make sense of things because everything's connected and day-to-day connected and you're going deeper and yeah wow yeah and thought about it definitely our English learners right no it really (laughs) helps like one of my um students in eighth grade oh man he got so into the world war one unit and and that's like a perfect example (laughs) I always think it's funny but (laughs) it's right I know I was like oh this is dark you know this book is long this book is hard but he was like oh my gosh he was into it in the Socratics like talking more than anyone else like about whether war destroys your humanity are you really a person after you've been to war you know like he was just so into it and yeah so like to really give him time to think about that and then that's what he's expected to write about so it's like right he it also like if you think cognitive load with writing which is what you're saying there Melissa like he has his ideas so you know so he can get those out so he actually kind of has some he can focus a little bit on like the the English like how am I trying to say this because you know, English learners are like balancing so many things at once right. when they're trying to to speak and then to write. I mean, that's just like such another layer, you know, that they're that they're adding on. So um, yeah. that yeah, that was super powerful. And the art was another thing that I always loved yeah. with my kids because mm-hmm. you know, and this works for lots of kids, but such a way to just to talk about art is just different, but it's such a way to let everybody do that, right? Like mm-hmm. it kind of takes the words out for a second and you can just have these like amazing thoughts, right? That you could share in any language, right? If you can talk to peers in different languages and, and just have, you know, practice having some really rich conversations and making connections. So um, that was a great opportunity too. Yeah, that's a good point. When um, when I was working with a school district that, uh, has a dual language program, depending, you know, they were trying to figure out how this would look in terms of wit and wisdom implementation. And, um, 
a lot of the time they ended up doing the art in whichever language the text was not available in, if that makes any sense. Um, <laughs> that's a lot to process. Got it. Um, but they, so for example, if the text was available and the core text was available in Spanish, then they went on and did the art in English or um, vice versa. And mm-hmm. that was really helpful because the students could then all have that experience together. Um, and they knew that they were meeting the, the dual language specifications and being able to meet the needs of all students, but also give them access to all of these texts and experiences mm-hmm. that the curriculum demanded. So that was, that was really helpful. And that's a good point to mention, like yeah. students that, that does, you know, level the playing field and give them equity and experience. The art is a big, big deal. And it's really powerful to be able to like process content in both places, right? Anywhere, like in any language that you learn something, like Mm -hmm. it's just in your head, right? Like if you learn something in Spanish, you don't have to relearn it in English. You just might need new words, but, but you have those ideas, you know, and Mm -hmm. then it's really strengthens if you're able to bridge between the languages, it's like really helps Mm -hmm. deepen your understanding of, of whatever you're talking about. Yeah. I feel like we could keep talking all day. I know. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we may do a follow-up podcast. <laughs> I um, would but love that. In the interim, uh, would you share one final piece of advice with our listeners? Yes, definitely. And so I was thinking about this a little bit, like what, what, are, what is my advice? But, um, there is this quote, like I, I'll see on Twitter or, you know, it pops up different places that always just makes me stop and think. And it's when people say the most dangerous phrase in the English language is, but this is the way we've always done it. And it, it just always makes me, you know, think about this whole journey that a lot of us have been on in education and, and to not be afraid to change. Right. And that like, we want what's best for our kids. And, and, you know, like I said, some of our kids really can't advocate for themselves for, for whatever reasons. And so, you know, we can't be afraid to stand up and, and say to whoever's in charge, like, is this really the best way to do this? Right. Like, um, just make sure that we use our voices, like as educators, like this is how we be activists, right. Like to just stand up and recognize that, getting good reading curriculum into our schools, like, I mean, it will change the world. Like, <laughs> not, not to be over dramatic, but it really could change things if we are able to just raise literacy rates for, for all of our kiddos. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we totally agree. <laughs> uh, well, so thank nice you so you, much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thank you guys so much for, for having me. This was wonderful. Yeah, Sarah, I'll link some of your uh, very famous blog pieces <laughs> in our show notes as well. Um, so that even everybody more can famous. read. Yeah, and they'll see your picture. You'll see your picture on the blog post too. Yeah, with Joanna Gaines, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was so much fun talking with you, and we hope to talk to you again soon. All right, thank you guys. Thank yeah. you. Bye. 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 Bye.